0: This is On and Off Your Mat podcast, episode 15, Living the Sutras. My name is Erica, and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Kelly Dinaro and Amy Pierce-Hayden. Kelly and Amy are the co-authors of Living the Sutras, a guide to yoga wisdom beyond the mat. The book offers a modern, accessible, and personal look at the ancient yogic philosophy and wisdom found in the yoga sutras. Kelly is also the author of several other books and a freelance journalist and a yoga studio owner. Amy is a recognized international yoga teacher that has been studying yogic and Eastern philosophies for more than 20 years while running other businesses, including now also her own studio. We sat down, the three of us, to talk about the book, the Yoga Sutras in general, and their possible application in life. As always, I really appreciate your support, so as you leave a review on iTunes or on your iPhone podcast app, you automatically enter our giveaway. This episode, Kelly and Amy are graciously giving out a couple copies of their book, so if you'd like to get to read the book for free, stay tuned. I'll give you all the details you need at the end of the show, and I'll announce also the winner of our last giveaway. On that note, take a listen. I'm sure you'll enjoy. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Amy. Hi, Erica. Hi, Erica. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you both for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having us.
1: We're so excited to do this and, and uh, catch up and see what's happening on your side.
0: Yeah, Kelly and Amy are co author of an amazing book called Living the
1: Sutras, A
0: Guide to Yoga Wisdom Beyond the Mat. Even before the book was out, I put it on my reading list and I pre-ordered it. So I was super excited to dig in another perspective on the sutras. And when I saw how simply it was presented and that it came with exercises to apply to your daily life, I really wanted to sit down with you guys so we can talk about it. Before we dig into our subject, can you both tell us a bit more about yourself, your background, and what brought you
2: to yoga and to writing? Um, this is Kelly. Uh, <laughs> talking. talking. Um, I came to yoga. I had a very on-again, off-again yoga practice for a long time. And I started practicing much more consistently when I was training for my first long distance uh, run. And at the time, I was working at USA Today, and they had this fantastic gym there. And they brought in a wonderful instructor uh, a few times a week. And I started taking class with her. And I I started, you know, for the physical practice, I wanted looser hamstrings and better runs. Mm-hmm. And I stayed on the mat for all the reasons I think people end up staying on the mat. And it was actually really, my, as my practice developed, it was really instrumental in helping me make the decision to actually leave my job there and to try freelancing. And when I left to freelance, somebody gave me great advice and said, find something to do that gets you out of the house every day. Hmm. There's the danger as a a freelancer of never leaving your home. And, (laughs) and, um, And so I, in my personal practice, I was Studio hopping all over Washington, DC, which is where I lived at the time. And in my, um, but I was also teaching, and and I'm dating myself now, I was teaching step and sculpting classes (laughs) at uh, Washington Sports Club and and Valley's. And my boss at Washington Sports Club knew that I I practiced and they were doing a, a training there. And he said, Why don't you, we have two spots in this training, why don't you get certified to teach? yoga and then you can teach here as well. And it was really an interesting dichotomy. And I was, because I was practicing at studios, but I I ended up taking the training and teaching at gyms, which, you know, they've very different kind of vibe to them. And um, as my practice grew and got more serious, um, it was sort of an interesting time in journalism. I think this probably 2008-ish and a lot of the magazines that I was working for were having really pretty intense layoffs and some were folding altogether and I lost some of my regular gigs and my boyfriend at the time now my husband said to me one night, "Well, what would you do if you weren't a journalist?" and I said, "Well, I'd be I'd own a yoga studio. I'd open a yoga studio. Mm. And I have no idea where that <laughs> answer came. <laughs> it like popped into my head. Um and once it but once it popped into my head, you know, the universe put it there, I think. Um, it I it actually it, it stayed there. And I started looking at the neighborhood I lived in very differently and um probably within six months of that, I opened up Past Tense Yoga Studio. Um, It's a small um, neighborhood-centric, very small community studio in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood of Washington, D.C. And it's been really wonderful to have both of my worlds sort of um, blended together because thankfully journalism hasn't died and I'm very much still a writer and I have two very wonderful jobs. Awesome.
1: Yeah. How about you? Uh, this is Amy. Uh, my experience in my introduction to yoga was a little bit more self-led in the sense that it wasn't really from a physical perspective. When I was a teenager, I became really interested in what was happening in other parts of the world. And I started reading about Eastern occultism and I don't know how exactly I was exposed to it, but I would look at books on meditation and I was always interested if anything, if anything culturally was outside of what I was exposed to, I I was interested in it. So I'd I'd be 12 or 13 years old and I'd hear um, an an Eastern flute playing and become curious about the instrument. Or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I heard for the first time uh, people chanting on a recording and I was really interested. So very early on at, at a young age, I was really attracted to things that I didn't know about, and so I started reading Eastern philosophy as a teenager. Uh, it happened to be around the same time that in the late 80s and the early 90s that Lilius Folan was in America was one of the first women that had on public television, a free yoga class that was on PBS. Mm. And I was I was probably 12 or 13 years old and it was on early in the morning and I was babysitting for a family and the kids were sleeping and I would get up early and practice this yoga. It was the asana. And I became really attracted to it. So I remember that being the first introduction to the asana. And so I'd been interested in Eastern philosophy. I, I, I moved through high school, of course, did all of the high school things that everyone does, like rebel against everything, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's been presented to you. And then I went to college and I was studying. Um, I knew quite young that I wanted to focus on on um, stage work. I was a theater major in both my undergrad and graduate degree I'd been in theater and was exposed to um, acting and I was uh, studying professional acting since I was eight years old. So my goal was to be an actor. So I was in, in the Midwest and eventually moved to New York City to pursue my acting career. But the entire time from the age of 19 until my present age in my early 40s, yoga had been around me the whole time and I had been exposed mostly to it on my own. But then eventually in undergrad, it was a requirement to take some kind of physical discipline i.e. yoga for actors, for movement and for breath. Hmm. And so I had my formal introduction and my first yoga formal teacher when I was 19 in undergrad. Um, that's my teacher, Gabriel Halpern, who's an Iyengar, student of Iyengar, who's now in his 70s. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of set me on a path where I felt super anchored in the physical practice like Kelly, but also I was very much more um, keenly interested in why we were doing what we were doing. Mm -hmm. After, Mm -hmm. after starting on my undergrad, I ended up moving to New York City and spent nearly 20 years in, in New York. But what attracted me more and what pulled me into yoga was that every time I went to a a practice where there was something more than just the physical part and there was philosophy or meditation or application, I felt different. And I don't know that I knew exactly what was happening, but I felt more and more like me, you know, even in my twenties. And I felt more and more in my body. I felt more and more grounded. And that led me to seek out um, holistic practices where eventually I did a yoga teacher training where I didn't plan to teach nor own a studio. Nor train teachers, nor be a teacher for nearly two decades now, but that's how the path mm-hmm. went. So mine was more mine was more body cent- uh, um, breath centered, body centered, but also mentally centered from a philosophical standpoint. So the yoga Sutras has been really integral in my understanding of yoga for the last two decades. Mm-hmm. Do you
0: guys see a parallel between writing and yoga? in the way you approach it or in
1: I think I now I think I'll let Kelly answer that I do now because this is really my first true writing I mean I've written the writing that I've done as a yoga studio owner for 15 years is writing about yoga and advertisements mm-hmm. which is something in itself but but not as a not as a writer in a uh, a, a far back stand away point that Kelly comes from yeah I mean yes. I think I think the
2: similarities are very broad in terms of, I think the most important thing for both comes down to discipline and putting your butt in the chair or in the mat to actually Mm. do it and to do it consistently. Um, And I think it, I think it also, both things are, you're talking about or you're working through some fear, right? I mean, with writing, there's the fear of rejection and one of the big concepts of yoga is kind of navigating through the fears we have about life or change. So I, I think in those big broad stroke ways, there mm-hmm. are some similarities. Um I also think that they're very complementary, or at least for me, my physical yoga practice is very helpful um in getting me focused and centered for writing. And so I think, I think that in that sense,
1: they're very similar mm-hmm. too, or yeah. helpful. Maybe. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. For people that have go ahead. Oh, one of the things that I learned, you know, not being not being a professional writer. Kelly's a professional writer and studied writing. Is a writer makes a profession at it. Is that there is a system to both of them? Like I understand the systematic process and application of yoga, especially in the Ashtanga eight limb system that we write a lot about in Living the Sutras. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. you know that my my exercise in writing this book with a partner had a lot to do with the system of it, where it was creative, but more than it being creative, there was a systematic approach to how we were going to write, which I understand as a yoga teacher and a yoga practitioner. But I think probably I always thought writing was a lot looser and a little bit more creative, where I think there's a lot of structure that's necessary in writing to make it comprehensive and grounded. So in that sense, I think there's a lot that goes together in the way that you have to approach something creative.
0: Mm -hmm. For people that have no idea what we're talking about, they don't know what the yoga sutras are, can one of you explain what they are and what's the importance of that text?
1: The Yoga Sutra, in essence, is a text that was expounded approximately 150 BCE, so just nearly 2,000 years ago. And the history of yoga, without taking up all of our time, is dates much further back than that. We have origins of yoga dating between five and six and 7,000 years ago, coming from different texts like the Upanishads and... The system that we are using was codified at this point, probably coming out of a series of other practices and disciplines and rituals that a group of people or a single person called Patanjali, which historians don't know, decided to make more scientific, less arbitrary to the individual, but scientific and more factual, which is what's attractive to me. And so... The codifier Patanjali, in this case, we'll we'll call him or call them, made a system where through eight stages or eight rungs, we begin to look at how we respond to the world around us. Through the first couple rungs, we begin to understand how we exist in our body, how we manage our energy, and then eventually how the mind works um, in a way that gives any class, any race, any age the ability to work through the system. So the sutras themselves are really a systematic approach to understanding who we are, understanding what our powers are, understanding what our uniqueness is, and how to live in a more peaceful, easy way, which of course is timeless. It doesn't matter if it's 1,500 years ago or 2,000 years ago. The approach is about with these simple moral rules, with some morality, with discipline, with understanding of self, each of us and all of us can live in a little bit more easy, um, connected manner. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think it's always been such a uh, important text to me because it isn't, um, it's not really arguable that the the rules in the text apply to everybody and they work.
0: Mm -hmm. Why did you feel called to write this book? Was it important for you to make the sutras more accessible? Uh,
1: Um, for me, uh, I've been leading yoga teacher trainings now for 16 years. And I'd say about half that time ago, seven or eight years ago, I was really looking for a text that could support my teacher trainers in particular. Because, because the text is a couple thousand years old, we aren't living in that period, although there are universal rules. It is really difficult to kind of look at something that's been transcribed from Sanskrit to Hindi to English with other commentaries that might apply to somebody in the modern day who doesn't have a grasp on this. So I was always looking for an extra workbook or... Um, self-investigative questions or mm-hmm. journal prompts that could help somebody say okay here's what it says how do i do that so i've had this idea for quite some time but i didn't really have the aptitude for organizing it and uh, one day kelly a couple years ago who was a new student of mine um listened to me speak about one of the aspects of the yoga sutras and she approached me and kind of talked to me about it and and that's actually where the two of us came together with our our symbiotic mm. idea. Maybe I'll maybe I'll let Kelly tell you that story. Well,
2: I think it's um I think it's funny because I definitely came to the practice from a physical perspective and Amy came to it first, you know, interested in the philosophy and the meditation and absolutely. Yeah. Um part of what was interesting for me and I think I'm I'm your more typical student is that I've had Some brief introduction to the sutras. I had some in trainings and some in classes, but generally it was something I just sort of set aside and wasn't particularly interested in. Mm -hmm. And Amy did, when I started taking class with Amy, she does a really wonderful and beautiful job um, with her Dharma talks and they were often related to the sutras, not always, but very often. And it was the first time that somebody was making it, interesting Mm. to me in some, in some real applicable way. And, um, you know, it was funny because while this was happening, I got a stack of books in my office to, um, sent to me to consider for review or for using them for sources. And I realized that two of the books basically were the same, but one had the word yoga in the title. And as I flipped through it, it had nothing to do with yoga as I had ever known it. And I was really very judgmental about this Um, and really frustrated about it. And I, that day I kind of stomped off to Amy's or to class and Amy gave this lovely Dharma talk and like sat there thinking that this is what a yoga book should be. Mm-hmm. And so that was, and, and of course, being a writer, that was the idea. I was like, of course, this is what a yoga book should be. Mm-hmm. And um, I let the idea sort of percolate. And when Amy and I talked about it over coffee, it just perfectly dovetailed with some things that she had been thinking. So it worked out. I mean, it was really amazing how
1: fortuitous it all
2: <laughs> it all was and how it worked out. I think the universe had Bigger ideas
1: mm. within the. Well, when we met, we went and had lunch, and I mean, within the forty-five minutes or the hour that we were together, we had a huge outline, and that outline came to um, materialize itself within a couple months, and within a couple months from that, it materialized into a contract, into a into a book deal. So I think I think because both of us had a lot of desire underneath that for something like this to happen. It, it arrived very quickly, and we really did need each other for it to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: With that first outline, is that where you selected the sutras already?
1: We knew it was the sutras from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But the selection, the, because you didn't we, tackle all of them. Yeah. yeah you, so made <laughs> a, we, made, <laughs> sorry. we made a choice to really focus on the active part of yoga, because this is a, as we say, it's a guide to yoga wisdom beyond the mat, mm-hmm. and the first. So for those of you who don't know a little bit about the construction of the original text, it's, there's a, a, a series of what's called padas, and pada means foot or foundations. And the yoga sutra is made out of four padas or four portions or four chapters. And we've decided to focus very um, concretely on the first chapter, the second chapter, and then only the first three sutras of chapter three. And then none of the rest of three or four, because at that point, we're really, the, the the codifier, Patanjali at this point is saying, no longer at this point are you actually applying any effort. The rest of this is all an explanation of the results of your effort and what enlightenment looks like. And so we, maybe not being enlightened beings, couldn't actually say to you, let's talk about what it means to live as an enlightened being, because this is, this is about living in the world. And here is here's what we can tackle and here are the tasks that we can handle. And so we decided... To talk about the stages of uh, yoga, the stages of advancement, the stages of self study, and conclude with the possibility of further development. That after you've done this work and you understand it, we can continue to peel back a layer and another layer of deepening our understanding of self. Where the latter chapters, which most people translate, are about the stages of enlightenment that we don't know how to journal about because it's an internal process. It's individual to everybody.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Personally, do you guys have favorites like sutras that you come back to all the time?
2: I, Amy has heard me say this a lot. I, there are a couple that I, that I really like. Um, I was really surprised at how much uh, a gratitude practice comes up in the sutras and Patanjali never says anything about a gratitude practice or a gratitude journal, but when you think about um, cultivating contentment or focusing on abundance in in our lives, to me, the way, the best way to do that or the way to do that is through gratitude. And it doesn't have to be journaling, but having a very consistent gratitude practice. So I, I really like those. Um, I also love... The sutra on cultivating the opposite Mm -hmm. because to me it's so immediately actionable in the real world. And the exercise that we give for that particular sutra is to think about somebody who you struggle with, with your relationship with them, and to think about then something good that they have brought into your life. And that way, instead of, because this is essentially what the sutra is saying, instead of focusing on the frustration or the anger or the annoyance, you're focusing on the gift that they have given you in your life. You're focusing on the the love or the skill or the the benefit. And we can replace the negative with the positive. You're not gonna ever just get rid of the negative, but you can cultivate the opposite feeling. And and I, I love that that is immediately
1: actionable you know, in in our day-to-day lives. Mm -hmm. Also one of my favorites, I call them the 33s. So we have Sutra 133 and 233. And Kelly's talking about 233, which is focusing on the opposite. And 133 talks about, we often refer to it as the locks and the keys. Mm -hmm. There are situations where we're going to be blocked, we're going to be stuck, and we have to apply a certain, we, we need the right key for the right lock. And it's about, it's at, it's an attitudinal practice. And I think for many of us, until we start looking at the deeper layers of yoga, we don't know that our attitude is playing actually one of the biggest parts in our advancement. You know, where, where in modern day, we might think, well, if I go to the yoga mat and I I do my practice and I bring my leg in the air a little bit higher and I breathe a little bit deeper, we might advance. And that might be true physically. But how do we advance with how we're dealing with people around us? And how do we advance with our own personal struggles and our own jealousy or our own criticism? And 2,000 years ago, Patanjali said, when there's people around you who are good, be around them. When there's people who are around you that are happy, be happy for them. Mm -hmm. When there's people around you who are, are, are negative and they're in a bad space, have compassion for them. And when there's people around you who are just not good, Leave them be. Don't try to change them. And these th- that advice is so good.
0: Mm-hmm. It's so simple, but it's so simple. It, it works. Um, I love all the reflections and the exercises. And you just named a couple that you suggested for each sutra or each group of sutras. Sometimes, what was the process for coming up with these reflections or prompts or exercises?
2: We actually wrote all of the commentary first, first, and then and then edited a lot <laughs> and and then we went through um and some of the journal prompts some of the reflections as we were writing they just naturally came it was very clear like this is what this is what we wanted to to say and what we wanted the reader to work on and then others it was a lot harder to to come up with and so we would go through and we would talk a lot about okay well what is it that we want the reader to to take away from this. How can they really apply this particular sutra to their life? What's going to have the biggest impact or takeaway for them? And we also knew that we wanted, so at the very end, we encourage readers to go through this again and again as they need, right? Mm -hmm. So you might find particular themes come up for you now in this first reading of it in the first work through, but maybe next year there's something else. And so we also wanted to make sure that the prompts and that the reflections allowed for that so Mm -hmm. that it can be a continual tool in our growth. Right.
0: Mm, That's interesting. What are you hoping that people really get from
1: doing these exercises and from reading the book? Well, Kelly and I talk about the promises of yoga and we mentioned them early on in the book. And so certainly I think we would say we hope that some of those promises are realized by the reader. Absolutely. And, yeah, and some of the very simple promises are about feeling easy in who we are. And some of the promises are about arriving at our our potential. And some of the promises are about stilling the mind so that we feel more equanimous. And so I think all the promises that yoga gives us from That long ago, we hope that the introspective work allows us allows the reader to arrive at that. Would you say the same, Kelly?
2: I I absolutely
1: agree. Yes,
2: I also would say that I think there's so much more to our practice than downward facing dog, and I hope that this is accessible and modern enough of a. I don't want to call it a translation of a of a version of the sutras. Yeah, of an approach to the sutras that it encourages people to explore their practice beyond the physical and um, maybe dive deeper into meditation or into some of the other yoga philosophy. Um, It it definitely has expanded my idea of what my practice is.
0: I think it does that. Do you think in your opinion that it might be a tool to help people develop a more potent personal practice because we don't do a lot of the sutras necessarily in group classes all the time. So that might be a way to go deeper on their
2: own. I would, that would be wonderful. Yes. Yeah,
0: definitely. <laughs> what was the biggest lesson you learned about either your life or your practice
2: writing this book? Mm. There were a couple of big takeaways for me. One is that the yogis were seriously ahead of our time (laughs) and that a lot of the things that they're talking about are things that science and research is now proving, like the happiness advantage and the importance of gratitude. And also the fact that Yes, the the way it manifests has changed, but the human experience is actually pretty consistent. You know, Patanjali talks about distractions and procrastination and laziness. and he didn't have an iPhone, but I he still had those things. So I think that was that's really actually encouraging. Um, for me, also, I think this changed my practice working on this book definitely changed my practice from one that was, heavily physical and not as, I really struggled. I've I've always tried and I've always really struggled with meditation. And this book has definitely, working on this has made it easier a little bit, but it also has made me realize how much more important that is. And so it's helped me put more of a focus and a priority on that, which I think is really amazing. Um, And then the the last thing that I, that one, my big takeaway, it's, it's actually changed a little bit how I parent, Mm. um, because ultimately one of the main things we take away from this is that everything changes. Life is impermanent, right? And so it reminds me, when I think about that, it reminds me that when my toddler um, son is feeling snuggly and adorable and wants to like cuddle up that I should not be racing off to make lunch or thinking about my to-do list. I should just kind of savor that because there's going to be a point where he is not going to think I am the coolest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, when he's being really difficult or getting up really early, I remind myself that this too will not last and we will get through it. And so that, you know that's really helpful, and again, I really like the immediately actionable ways of applying this to my life. It it just makes everything easier.
0: Mm-hmm. Those are good.
2: Tickets. Amy, what about you?
1: You know, for me, it, it that's a question that I was thinking. What do I answer? I know this text so well that it's not and this isn't it hasn't changed me dramatically. But the thing that has surprised me is how many people are utilizing it who have never actually been on the mat, which I did not expect. Like I, my original thought in my mind, was, as I mentioned earlier, is that I needed a text for people who are studying to be yoga teachers. Mm-hmm. And what I have realized is, is that it's so universal, you don't even have ever had to be on the mat to benefit from the theory and the sutras. And that's pretty incredible. As she said, it's timeless. It's 2000 years old. And you could read this and never have done a downward facing dog and it would be applicable. I guess that's the most surprising thing to me.
0: Mm, That's amazing. If people feel inspired and after this book, they want to dig a little bit more deeply into it, where should they turn? Do you have a favorite translation or where do they go from there?
1: From a um, technical standpoint and a scholarly standpoint, Edwin Bryant... Uh, maybe six or seven years ago. Maybe it's a little bit more. Um, authored a translation with a lot of historical study on the sutras that I would recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's 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 the Yoga Sutras by Patanjali by Edwin Bryant. That would be my favorite scholarly translation. Um, I, I'd be curious to hear Kelly's because I have my my tend to go scholarly, and I think she tends to go. Application, yeah, I'm actually scanning my
2: bookshelf now and <laughs> thinking about kind of which ones um, Nikolai Bachman,
1: I, I think you really enjoyed Nikolai Bachman's.
2: I do. I really like Nikolai Bachman's a lot. Um, and I like um you know, I think I think the the one in between Living the Sutras and Edwin Bryant would be um Swami Sain um his his translation it, it's more academic more literal than ours for sure um but it's it's With, a much easier read. Yes. yes yes much easier read um yeah and i also realized my my uh, bookshelf right now is really heavy on meditation books and less on sutras <laughs>
0: What is next for you? Any other projects that you can share with us
2: before we wrap it up? We have some things in the works, but I don't know so that, it's a um, Secret? but no, they're not. It's not, <laughs> it's not a secret. It's still just coming together, but, mm. um, yeah, we do, we have some, we have some things hopefully coming together with, with this, that'll expand on it. So we will keep you posted. Good. So
0: you had a good collaboration. You're continuing to work the two of you together. It was a good experience. It was a
2: great experience.
1: Honestly, I feel very lucky. Yeah, that's a question, Kelly. That's been asked of us a lot because I imagine it isn't easy for people to co-author, mm-hmm. and I could not have done it without Kelly. And I, I mean, and of course, and I could not have done it without Amy. There's you know, no way. It depends on your partner, but mm-hmm. oh, I have learned that collaboration—if you take each other's skills into consideration—and you, it just ups your game. Mm-hmm. If, yeah you know, if you've got somebody else who has a skill that's outside of yours, oh, it's just going to make you better. And it's more fun and it's easier. I would absolutely recommend collaboration. We, we had so much fun. We
2: would, Amy would come to my office when we were working on it and we'd have a cup of coffee or tea and ketchup. So it was like, before we got to work, it was, we were with each other as friends, which was so nice. And then, while we're doing this work, you know, we were doing the journaling them, but we were essentially doing the reflections verbally with each other. And so, you know, you're doing that deep work with somebody you're, you're close with, which was really lovely. And then, um, you know, especially at the end, once we were getting through like heavy edits and the days were definitely longer and we're getting closer, we would usually have a glass of wine at the end of the day. And again, I mean, This is all with my friend. It's such a like lovely and enjoyable way to spend the day. And I think somebody asked me, they're like, "You guys didn't have any arguments?" And I said, "We had (laughs) one. We had one entire time. The entire time, one." And I guarantee you, it was because we were working too late and we were both overtired. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it was like just the most. I think it was really enjoyable. I would do it again. Somebody asked me, I don't think that's always the way. Yeah, I would do it again. Yes, me too.
0: That's so sweet. I will put all your info in the show note, and I'll put uh, the reference that you mentioned before as well. But if people want to connect with you, they want to follow your work and what's coming up, where's the
1: best place for them to find you? Well, for me, uh, we we both currently live in Madison. Kelly's studio, as she mentioned, is in D.C. I'll let her mention that. But I have a very sweet little community studio in downtown Madison, just a few blocks from our capital called Tantra, and the website is tantramadison.com. And what you'll find on there is not just uh, local things that are happening, but one of the things that I do pretty regularly is two to three retreats a year. Mm -hmm. And we do a lot of therapeutic work. And I usually do one that is domestic and two that are out of the country. So if anybody's looking for a healing yoga retreat that focuses on philosophy and not just the body work, you'll see that at my website at Tantra Madison. Uh, You can find us, of course, on social media. My website or my uh, handle there is Tundra Madison and then Amy Pierce Hayden on Instagram. And Kelly can mention her studio. Um,
2: so if you're in DC, I own my studio is Past Tense, and the website there is PastTentStudio.com. And if anyone's curious about what I'm writing about or um, if I'm giving any talks, I have a website that's KellyDonardo.com. And I mention all of this on Instagram, and that's at KellyDonardo.
0: Great. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you for your thank time.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Erica. Thank you so much. And we would love to hear about your experience with the sutras. I know you're a little ways through it and and what has sort of become exciting for you, if you share that at some point. I think that's I think that's one of the most exciting things for me, maybe for Kelly too, is to hear what people are getting from it. Because we'll mm-hmm. get feedback where people say, oh my God, it's changing the way I think but I never know what it's changing. So I'd love to hear like what specifically how it works.
0: Yeah, for sure. So one of my favorite things was one of the earliest exercise. I think it was the first or maybe the second or the third, where it was asked of us to make a list of all the things that define who we are. And then you had to ask someone else to do that same list for you. And I did my list. And then I asked someone else. And when I received the list, I was shocked by the difference. There was things that I didn't expect to find on there. There was things that I literally disagreed with. I was like, no, that's not true. And then (laughs) other things I was like, oh, yeah, that's a fair point. Like, I didn't think of that or I didn't, you
1: know, see it that way. So that was one that was very... Interesting. Do you remember one or two of those? Do you remember one thing that stood out that was very surprising that people said about you or one thing that you thought was absolutely not true? One was, it was saying
0: something like, I tend to hide things.
2: Mm.
0: (laughs) And I was like, no, that's not true. And then weeks later, I was like, oh, maybe I do a little bit tend to like be really reserved and like not say things that maybe the other person would assume that I should say. or So that was like something that actually made me grow because I'd never thought of myself as someone that was, you know, hiding stuff. Mm-hmm. But on the moment, I was like, no, no, that's not true. But then
1: it kind of was. So that it was reminds me, there was a period of my life um, after my first husband betwe- and between my partner now where I did some online dating and I went on a date with this one person a couple times and they were enjoyable dates. And toward the end of the second date, he said to me, wow, Amy, you're really intense. <laughs> and I didn't know if that was like, It didn't feel like a compliment. And I, and, you know, and I said, oh, thanks. And I went home and I called my very best friend who had known me for 10 years. And I said to her, yeah, the date was good, but he told me I was intense. And she said, uh-huh. <laughs> You are. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? She says, you don't know you're intense. And, you know, <laughs> those moments where you're like, you you know, we have this idea that something means something. And it, it took me a long time to think that, to embrace and to be okay with the idea that most people saw me as intense, mm. where I thought that meant a negative thing. It was just, I, I, now I've come to go realize, well, I'm intense. It's not good or bad I'm intense and so I think part of that exercise for us is like how do you see yourself is it how people see you do you see it negatively do you see it positively mm-hmm. and and starting to kind of break down this idea of whether or not how we label ourselves as good bad or otherwise
0: yeah it was it was very interesting great there was, there was a bunch in there that I really liked Oh, that's so good. But that's the one that really stood out because I think because I ask someone else, because I have to, you know, I journal a lot and I, I do those things on my own, but having to ask someone else their opinion on it as a definitely a different layer of... For
1: sure. Yeah.
2: So that's it. Erica, thank you so yes
1: much for having
0: a lot Oh, well, thank you guys. Thank you so much for listening. We have other great guests coming up, so make sure to subscribe. Now, if you want to make my day, you want to help other people find this podcast, and you want to get a chance to win a free copy of today's book, Living the Sutras, all you have to do is head on to iTunes or on your podcast app on your iPhone and write a review. As you leave your review, you automatically enter the giveaway. And I announce the winner on the next episode. If you're newer to review, you can check out the show notes for detailed instructions. And for more info about our guests of today, or for both of those things, you can also go to my website, ericabelanger.com slash blog dash podcast. And I write my first name with a K. Last episode was supported by Athleta in their effort to ignite a community of strong women who lift each other up, and they were giving out a $75 shop card. Thank you so much if you lift a review. The winner of that giveaway is user Kai Yogi. Kaiyogi said, I have really enjoyed listening to this podcast. I especially like the spiritual topic covered in the most recent episode. Sean's honesty and humor was very refreshing and relevant. Great question, Erica. Keep up the thoughtful work. See, it's that simple. Thank you so much, Kaiyogi, for your comment. Email me at erica.belanger at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram and I'll send you your shop cards. Once again, thank you for joining in and until next time!